Hello, welcome to the Red Hills Church Podcast. We are so glad that you are joining us from wherever you are joining us. We're excited that you're here. I wanted to let you know about a couple of things that are happening in the life of our church. First is we are continuing in our initiative to support our teachers by stocking the school resource rooms. We have a Amazon wish list on our website, so if you'd like to go there and purchase some items for our teachers or bring those items in person, let's support our teachers and show them that Red Hills Church is here for them. Also, we are making a shift on Sunday, September 4th to move from two gatherings to three gatherings. Those times will be 8.30, 10, and 11.30. We're looking forward to creating more space and more room for our college students as they begin the fall semester. And also, if you would like to join us online, we are offering the live stream at the 10 a.m. gathering. Also, if you are new, if this is your first time at Red Hills, we would love to connect with you. So if you could fill out a connect card, that would just give us some information so that we can follow up with you. We'd really appreciate it. And something that we do as part of our worship is giving through finances. So if you'd like to give today, you can do so by giving online. We are going to be continuing in our James series, and this week I'm really excited because Sunshine Eddie is going to be sharing the word with us. She is our area pastor for the Foursquare Northwest District, and she's actually my boss. And so I know you're going to enjoy the message from her today. Church. Oh my gosh. It's so exciting to be here. It's so fun. Had this realization like two days ago. Um, apparently, I have the memory of a goldfish and um, had this realization that more than a decade ago. Um, that Steve, I assume this is 100% my fault. It usually is. How many of you know that when you speak, like I could walk up to a monitor, pour gasoline on it, throw a match into it. It would create all this feedback and everybody would look at the poor sound person, right? Um, so, but it's 99.9% .9 of the time the speaker's fault. Never forget that. But anyway, because I have the um, memory of a goldfish, I had this realization. I actually spoke to your women like 15 years ago. Uh, when the Amstutz very first came, it might have been longer than 15 years ago, uh, Kim did a thing for the women in Portland, and I spoke at that. It was, so it's super fun to like come back all these years later. Um, I think it's hilarious that Pastor Lane called me his boss. Uh, I get to be an air, I get to serve as an area pastor, one of the area pastors um, in this region. And that just means that there are 15 churches west of the Willamette that I get to hang out with their pastors and um, visit with them and get to be their pastor. So it's like the really, like seriously, the coolest gig in the world. Um, so super, super fun. But it's really fun to be with you guys this morning. Let's pray before we get started. Heavenly Father, we are so thankful. We are so thankful for this opportunity to gather in your name and to spend time in your word. Lord, I pray 
that by the power of the Holy Spirit, Holy Spirit, we invite you right now to come and transform us through the word of God today, that we would leave here so different because we've spent time interacting with the words of our Father. Thank you so much for your love and your grace and the way you speak to us. Let us hear well and be transformed. In Jesus' name, amen. So lots of fun things. Um, it's nice to see Pastor Lane decided to start out his ministry here at Red Hills with a nice light and fluffy series through the book of James. <laughs> Lane, I love you, bro, but come on. Uh, he's like, here's, here's, the fun, here's a couple of fun facts. Um, in addition to being the area pastor, I actually, when I'm at my home church, it's Beaverton Foursquare. So Lane and I used to go to church together. So for about four years, uh, we've been getting to know each other. And that man is a deep end of the pool kind of guy, right? He doesn't gently wade in and tiptoe through the tulips. He's a head first, all in leader. And I have gotten to watch him over the past four years be the most phenomenal leader. And so when the, we knew that the transition was happening here, and during the times of prayer, and all of a sudden having that realization that God was probably bringing Pastor Lane to this space. That's a little sad, I'm not gonna lie. Not purely selfish, purely selfish. But um, he, uh, he's a phenomenal leader, and, and I just feel so blessed to get to come and be part of this series with you guys today. Um, so, Book of James. Pastor Lane and Kate both did an amazing job of laying the foundation and helping us all understand the history of the book of James. That The book of James, um, most scholars, not all, by the way, we all find out that scholars don't all agree on anything, do they? But most scholars do hold to the, the idea that the book of James was written by James, the half-brother, the earthly brother of Jesus here on earth. And I think it's super interesting that what we do know about James is that he does not become a convert while Jesus is alive here on earth. And I don't know about you, but I'm a younger sibling, so I totally get this. I grew up with one of those practically perfect sisters who's just really great at everything. And she tried really hard at everything and she worked really hard. I was that girl that the younger sibling who would show up for the first day of school and they would say, oh, we had your sister last year. <gasps> oh, we expect great things. And I'd be like, be prepared to be disappointed. <laughs> so I get James. If, 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 if my sister walked on water, would I believe she was the Messiah? Absolutely not. If my sister had fed 5,000, would I believe she was the Messiah? Absolutely not. Because that's just the lot of a younger sibling. And so it doesn't surprise me that James doesn't really like go, okay, okay, maybe you're the Messiah. After Jesus dies and is raised again from the dead three days later and he sees him physically. I get you, James. I get you. So, James is considered a wisdom book, right? We know that it's written because your pastor did such a great job of setting this up, but it's actually written almost more like an Old Testament book than it is a New Testament book. And so it follows some very 
Hebrew lines of thought. It's written really similar to the book of Proverbs. And it's all of this wonderful wisdom, like packed in tight. James is like, James is really into condensing. He just just puts a lot of information in there. And so we're going to be in chapter 2 today. We're going to start in verse 1. And we're going to go through verse 13. My brothers and sisters, believers in our glorious Lord Jesus Christ must not show favoritism. Suppose a man comes into your meeting wearing a gold ring and fine clothes, and a poor man in filthy old clothes also comes in. If you show special attention to the man wearing the fine clothes and say, here's a good seat for you, but you say to the poor man, mm, you stand over there, or you can sit on the floor over here by my feet. Have you not discriminated amongst yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? Listen, my dear brothers and sisters, has not God chosen those who are poor in the eyes of the world to be rich in faith and to inherit the kingdom he promised to those whom he love, who love him? Excuse me. But you have dishonored the poor. Is it not the rich who are exploiting you? Are they not the ones dragging you into court? Are they not the ones who are blaspheming the noble name of him to whom you belong? If you really keep the royal law found in scripture, love your neighbor as yourself, you are doing right. But if you show favoritism, you sin and are convicted by the law as lawbreakers. For whoever keeps the whole law and yet stumbles on just one point is guilty of breaking all of it. For he who said you shall not commit adultery also said you shall not commit murder. And if you do not commit adultery, but you do commit murder, you've become a lawbreaker. Speak and act as those who are going to be judged by the law that gives freedom, because judgment without mercy will be shown to anyone who has not been merciful. Mercy triumphs over judgment. So let's start looking at this section of scripture, the way it would have been written and the way it would have been read and received by its original audience. So again, like we said before, that this follows almost like a, an Old Testament format. And there's this concept in Hebrew writing, especially amongst wisdom literature at the time, which it creates bookends, okay? So we're going to start by looking. In English, when we write a story or we, we tell, we write something, what do we expect? We start on one end and we move towards a crescendo, right? And here's the payoff. Well, that was not the thinking or the style of writing at this time. So what we would start with is these bookends. So let's start with the bookends that James is giving us. The first bookend he gives us is this phrase. He says, believers in our glorious Lord Jesus Christ must not show favoritism. So the first bookend we have is favoritism. And this word favoritism is actually an idiom. It's an idiom that like we would have said, oh, they bet the farm. Well, we know what that means. Nobody didn't, people didn't actually bet their farm, but we understand that they put everything into that, right? Okay, so it's an idiom. And the idiom is actually to accept one's face or to accept someone's face. That's the idiom. Uh, I accept your face. 
That's the idiom. But what it means, what that idiom means, is actually it's a really specific definition. And it's to give the best or biggest piece of meat to one's clansmen. That's a really good description, right? Right? I accept your face. You look like me. I see myself in you. Therefore, I will treat you with favor. So do we see favoritism on this one side? It's our one bookend. And then all the way on the other side, we have this other bookend. And it's the phrase, without mercy. And that, that series at the end there where it says, speak and act of those, uh, speak and act as those who are going to be judged by the law that gives freedom because judgment without mercy will be shown to anyone who has not been merciful. Those two without mercy and have not been merciful. It's actually the same word um, both times. And it means, it means to refuse to look at, to turn away, to not hear someone's cry for help. I accept your face. I see myself in you or I see things I aspire to in you. And so therefore, I will show you and give you more. I will not look at your face. I will turn my back on you, and I will refuse to hear your cries for help. So do we see the bookends that James is giving us? And then James gives us these two diametrically opposed ways of believing that leads towards actions. And again, Pastor Lane and Kate did phenomenal jobs. By the way, now I'm addicted to your guys' podcast. I'm going to have to add it to my rotation. Such great teachings. Um, but they did such a great job of helping us understand that all of this book of James is about what we believe comes out in what? Action. And here's the thing. We think we can change our actions without changing our beliefs, but that is so false. It is so false. And so James gives an illustration that would have been really relatable to his, his audience at the time. He describes this rich man and the poor man coming into the presence and people being like, oh yeah, I, maybe I, I'd like to see myself in his face. I'd like to aspire to be rich, right? So we're going to give you better. And then a poor man. And I like that it even uses the term filthy clothes. It gives us this impression that he stinks, right? And so we, we treat one with honor and respect and one without. But it's just an illustration. It's just one that the people of James, uh, James's time would have related to. They would have been like, oh, yep, we do that. And it's funny, I love that James is even a little snarky here. James is like, wait, you're going to treat this guy with honor and respect, but isn't, isn't it people like them that drag you into court? Isn't it people like him that like, don't even think you should exist and they make fun of who you serve? Really, that's who you're going to give that, that better treatment to, huh? Wait, isn't the poor... Isn't there a whole bunch of stuff like maybe in, you know, the Sermon on the Mount about blessed are the poor? 
and you know it's easier for a rich man to go th- or a camel to go through an eye of a needle than a rich man to get into heaven but but blessed are the poor there's like a whole lot of stuff about that hmm james see i get it see you know james is a younger sibling right it's that snark you learn it young and so and so james begins to give them this illustration that's very very relatable and he says to them, mm, let's, let's stop and think about this for a minute. Now, of course, we are not first century Christians. It's not the year 68 AD. Well, 60 AD, I think, is about when we think this was written. It's not then. It's not a segregated society. I mean, James lived in a super segregated society. People were separated by nationality, People were separated by religion. People were separated by social standing. They were separated by um, occupation. They weren't just separated by nationality. They were separated by tribe and clans within nationality. They were separated. But sunshine, this is 2022. We don't separate ourselves. We're not a segregated society, she says dripping with sarcasm. I mean... Others might separate themselves. I don't. We don't. She says, dripping with sarcasm. And so he pushes them back to this, this phrase, and he says, have you not discriminated amongst yourself and become judges with evil thoughts? Well, I mean, I might not hang out with people, that are different than me. I mean, I might, I might not, I, I'm not discriminating. I'm not separating myself from them. I mean, but they're just wrong in what they believe. I mean, they're just dumb and uneducated. Here's the thing about the word discrimination. It means to prefer someone over another person, right? We know this. But it actually, at the root word, the root word is the same word for doubt. To doubt someone's value. Because I don't see myself in them. Because they have traits that I don't find aspirational. Because they do stuff that I disagree with, or they live in ways that I disagree with. And so I separate myself from them. I mean, I don't, but maybe others, other people. So if you've been around the church or Judeo-Christian teachings for any time, you might might be familiar with this concept of being created in the image of God. It's common throughout scripture, especially in the Old Testament, in the book of Genesis, is littered with scriptures that are very, very similar to Genesis chapter 9, verse 6, that it says, for in the image of God, God has created mankind. In the image of God. So we like to think of this concept of people being 
created in the image of God, like maybe that means we look a little bit like him or there's a spark of something of, of the divine in us, right? We have all these fun, fancy words and phrases. And I really love how this super smarty pants theologian, Michael S. Heiss, Hess, who knows, says ab about what it actually means, that phrase, to be created in the image of God. He says, the image of God is not a quality within human beings. It is what humans are. Every human, regardless of its stage of development, is an imager of God. This imaging is neither incremental nor partial, nor does it derive from physical or spiritual ability. Rather, it derives from being created as God's image. See, here's the thing. Every single human being from all time, in all of eternity, at every moment, every single being, every single human who has been ex uh, in created or will be created is created as God's image. And so when I doubt someone's value, what am I actually doubting? I'm doubting, as Thomas Aquinas would have called it, the imago Dei in them. I am doubting their value. I am doubting how much they are at, created as the image of God. And so for me to treat another with any type of contempt is to treat God himself with that contempt. It is for me to doubt whether or not they have the spark of the divine, the Imago Dei, the image of God. Now, none of us love this idea. We all like to think we're above it. And here is how I know that I am not. I, my, my, my Monday through Friday gig, I work at a university. Every day when I get off the, the freeway, I drive past a camp of people who are unhoused. And every day when I drive past this, I look in the faces of people who are very, very different than me. And every day when I drive up to that feel a little anxiety, feel a little worry. Honestly, I feel a little disgust. See, this whole rich and poor thing for me is quite different. I grew up poor. I have a hard time with rich people. <laughs> but I grew up in a family that worked hard. And so I like to think that I have a little more value because we worked hard, pulled ourselves up by our bootstraps, left that life. See, it's funny how our discrimination hides itself. It's interesting how our favoritism and our without mercy 
quietly finds its way to the very back of our soul and the back of our mind. Until that day when you're sitting at the off-ramp and the Holy Spirit speaks and says something like, I mean, now we all hear the Holy Spirit a little bit differently. I'm just going to say how I hear his voice. Hey, sunshine, idiot. I mean, you didn't call me that. Might have been implied. Um, what makes you think you're better? What makes you think you have more of the image of God than them? Hey, sunshine, what makes you think that you have better attributes or that you have more value? What makes you think that Jesus Christ died for you more than he died for them? What makes you think that you are more deserving of love and respect than those people that you are judging right now? Now, I don't know about you. You guys, prob this is probably not relatable to you at all. This is probably not something that you're seeing yourself in. That's fine. Just apply it to your context. Like James, I'll give you a context that works for me. You take one that works for you. But verse 9 tells me that if I show favoritism, you sin and are convicted as a lawbreaker. For whoever keeps the whole law and yet stumbles over just one point is guilty of breaking all of it. For he who said you shall not commit adultery also said you shall not commit murder. And if you don't commit adultery, but you do commit murder, you become a lawbreaker. Does it? Okay, pause. Does that feel backwards to anybody else? feels backwards to me. Anyway, I digress as usual. Speak and act as those who are going to be judged by the law that gives freedom. Because judgment without mercy will be shown anyone who has not been merciful. For mercy triumphs over judgment. James is saying to us, to me, hey, you want to play by those old rules? Is that really the rules? You want to be judged? You want to take your evil thoughts? And you want to set yourself up on that diocese? Diocese? What's the word? Anybody know? Okay, close enough. In that big chair, really high up? Whoo, like that one, pedestal. Um, you want to do that? Okay, you get it all. And I don't know about you, maybe you guys are better at keeping the whole law than I am. But I'm not. And I don't want to be judged with that measure. I don't want that to be the thing that applies to my life. See, I do want the law that gives freedom, that comes through a saving relationship with Jesus Christ by grace alone. Not anything that I can do. That's the law I want to be judged by. The law that gives freedom. And so, that's where I have to take these two bookends and they point to this focal point. And it is verse 8. If you really keep the royal law found in Scripture, love your neighbor as yourself, you do well. See, here's the thing. 
there was the law of the land. And it was real, by the way. But then there's this kingdom law, this kingdom principle that James is reminding us all of, to love our neighbors as ourselves. And here's the thing. When bad things happen to me, I don't be like, oh yeah, I totally deserve that. I do that for others, though, don't I? When bad things happen, we all get a little Christian karma, I like to call it. Oh, you did bad things, bad things happen to you. That's not Christianity, nor is it in the Bible. That's a free one. That is us adopting and applying the laws of the world, and we're putting them on top of Jesus. Jesus spent three years on earth teaching people and dismantling that system. Stop putting the ways of the world on the things of God. They are not the same. And so, when I decide that I want to live by the law of freedom, then I get to love my neighbor as myself. I get to accept the biblical definition of humans, that they are image bearers. And I get to treat them as such, no matter how I see their value. And I get to ask the Lord to change and transform my thinking. I get to repent. I get to say, I'm sorry. Wow, that song for worship was like so perfect. I'm like, mm-hmm, yep. I'm sorry when I've just gone through the motions. I, I'm sorry. Yeah. See, mercy means to show kindness or concern for someone in need, not someone who's earned it. And so, if we're spending all of our time first deciding if they're right or if they deserve it, we're not acting with mercy. When I want to look away from somebody because I don't see myself in their face. When they have attributes that I don't admire or aspire to. I'm sinning and I'm breaking the law. And I'm choosing to live bound by the law. Jesus does this so beautifully in Luke chapter 8. I won't read the whole thing, but if you want to read it, it starts in verse 40, and it's this great story of Jesus. He's, he has a synagogue leader come to him. A synagogue leader. This is a, like, big deal. It's a big deal. And he comes and he says, my daughter's really sick. Will you come and heal her? And Jesus says, yes. By the way, yes, the synagogue leader's a big deal, but also it's the synagogue leaders who are persecuting Jesus. Let's not forget that. Jesus didn't have to see himself in that man's face. But he says, yes, I'll come. And then while he's on his way, there's a crowd and he feels power going out of him. I don't understand it. It's okay. I'm not Jesus. I'll ask him when I get to heaven. And he says, who touched me? And it's this woman and she's been bleeding for 12 years, which means by law, by law, she's not supposed to touch anybody. By law, she's not supposed to be in public where people are crushed around her. By law, she is breaking the law, and because she's breaking the law, she is making it so others can't go to worship, y'all. 
because if she touches them because she's unclean, she makes them unclean. And now for seven days, they can't go. And so Jesus turns and faces her. And he has a conversation with her and he heals her and he never asks her why she broke the law. He decides that she has value and that she is worthy to be healed. Why? Because she is created as the image of God and he values her. And so there are going to be times, you guys. Oh, well, the other cool part of the story, he goes to the synagogue leader's house. They've already said, ah, don't have Jesus come. The girl's dead. Do you know Jesus shouldn't have gone into that home? To be present with a dead body also would have made him unclean. I am sure that synagogue leader is probably thinking, unless my kid was super sick, I am not going to have him come into my house because he just touched a woman with an issue of blood and now he's unclean and I'm unclean and so and so and so and so, right? But what does desperation cause? Woo, desperation breaks down some walls. So he's like, oh no, it's okay if you come into my house unclean because my daughter's dead. And Jesus turns and he faces that man in his pain. And he faces that man's wife in her pain. And he actually raises their daughter from the dead. Not because any of them deserved it. Not because Jesus saw himself in them. But because he had compassion. And so today, we're going to be taking communion together. And I don't know about you, but I am so thankful that Jesus died on the cross for my sins when I did not deserve it. I have nothing in common with Jesus. Didn't see, I have nothing inspiring or that he would have aspired to. And yet he made a choice to sacrifice himself so that I could have a relationship with, Jesus, with God and an eternity and a future and a hope. And so as we come to communion this morning, we're going to take the bread first. So go ahead and, and take it out of your cup. And as we hold this bread and we thank you, we thank you, Jesus, that you did not judge us based on our actions or our deservedness. But instead, you made a choice to love us simply because we are created in the image of God. And so we thank you for your body that was broken for us. We take and we receive this today, and we remember that. In Jesus' name, go ahead and take the meat. And this morning as we come to the cup, Lord, we pray that today as we look at this cup and your blood that was spilt for our sins, Lord, I pray that you would remind us of those people that we are not showing mercy to. Lord, I pray that right now you would begin to reveal to us 
whether it's people, ideas, whatever it is, that we are saying, I'm turning my face away from them. I don't want to hear their cries for help. Lord, we repent. Help us to believe differently so that we would act differently and be transformed. And that through that transformation, we would see your kingdom come and your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And that we would see more people enter into that life-giving relationship. Make the table bigger. Forgive us when we've made it small. In Jesus' name, amen.